was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. Uh, uh, Praveen? <clears throat> it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. Pra Praveen, we the, it is this an existential crisis, or are you just getting ready for the awards season? No, Alistair, I'm, I'm more than just a radiologist, you know. I'm, I'm also an actor. And this production is called The Tale of Two CT Trainees. Get it? Do you get it? C CTs? CT uh, well, we're not going to be winning any awards for the podcast with those sort of jokes. Oh, Welcome right. back, everyone, to the Donuts of Destiny, the podcast on all things cardiac CT for anyone interested in cardiovascular imaging. I am Alistair Moss, a cardiologist at the University of Leicester in the UK. And I am Praveen Ranganath with radiology at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston in the United States. And today we have the privilege of having our friend and colleague Nidhi Madan back with us on the podcast. How are you doing, Nidhi? Hello, guys. Hi, Praveen, Alistair. And for our listeners, hello again. I'm Nidhi Madan, Interventional Cardiology Fellow at Rush University Medical Center, Chicago, Illinois in the U.S., on this episode of the podcast, I'm delighted to join Praveen and Alistair, and we are going to discuss the challenges in gaining competency in performing and reporting cardiac CT. And we will be having this discussion in the context of the recently published 2020 training guidelines from the SCCT. In essence, how do you become an expert in cardiac CT? Do you need to train for 10,000 hours? Or is there a 21st century update on the, quote, see one, do one, teach one? See one, do one, teach one. That old adage dates back to the late 1800s when William Holstead, professor of surgery at John Hopkins, laid down the foundation for training future clinician scientists using a model of deliberate repetition to embed skill acquisition. Despite being over 100 years old, Building a logbook of experience is an established method of demonstrating competency. This is in some way recapitulated by the number of cases that we have to review to achieve SCCT Level 2, that's an independent practitioner status, or Level 3, advanced practitioner status, for accreditation. Hmm. Alistair, sounds like you're not convinced. Well, a lot of training guidelines often draw an arbitrary line in the sand as to what the end product should be. Often, without clear evidence of how to achieve that in my experience, I think we do not know how many scans one needs to interpret to achieve competency. Fair enough, Alistair. That said, the 2020 SCCT guideline document recommends a mandatory minimum of 250 cases for independent practitioners and 450 cases for advanced practitioners. And of those 250 to 450 scans, 65 to 150 need to be performed with direct trainee involvement in patient preparation. The remaining can be any form of mentored interpretation, including live cases, teaching files, and in-person and online training courses. One more thing here. Trainees can become independent practitioners after a three-year general cardiology fellowship or after a diagnostic radiology residency if they have met the minimum requirements. But to become an advanced practitioner, additional some sort of dedicated imaging fellowship training is probably required. So how do these numbers compare to competency in other imaging modalities like nukes, per se? 
Well, a beautiful piece of work by our colleague Benjamin Chow looked at the mandatory minimum number of cases for competency in nuclear myocardial perfusion imaging. For trainees to meet the threshold of competence, set as two standard deviations below expert inter-observer agreement for each scan, they needed to review 800 cases. That's almost three times the number recommended by the Core Cardiology Training Symposium. When I have a trainee working alongside me in the CT lab, I think the key question that I want to answer by the end of their training is, do you know what your own sensitivity and specificity for detecting significant coronary artery disease on coronary CT is? That's how you know whether you're an expert or not. Forcefully put, Alistair. Let's now talk about why we should even bother getting formal training recognition and certification in cardiac CT. Well, for starters, cardiac CT is here to stay, guys. The UK NICE guidelines from 2016 recommended coronary CTA as the first line of testing for a chest pain evaluation. Subsequent guidelines from ESC 2019 followed suit, giving coronary CTA a class 1 level of evidence A indication for assessment of chronic coronary syndromes. Moreover, as confirmed in the Scott Hart 5-year data, Coronary CTA is the only non-invasive imaging modality that has been shown in a randomized controlled implementation trial to reduce the risk of future myocardial infarction. In the U.S., it's widely thought that coronary CTA will play a much larger role in the upcoming updated chest pain guidelines. And what I've mentioned only really talks about coronary CTA. There's plenty of data-supported guidelines for the use of things beyond coronary CTA, for example, coronary calcium score CTs. And all of the above-mentioned guidelines will lead to a high demand for competent cardiac CT readers in the very near future. Anyone and everyone should do it, irrespective of what super specialty or job you're going into. It is the go-to test for structural heart disease procedural planning, as noted by the increased number of reports performed for TAVR, left atrial appendage occlusion, and TMVR. The isotropic resolution makes it well-suited for detailed anatomical assessment in congenital heart disease, and even electrophysiologists find it helpful in planning their complex pulmonary vein ablations. Yeah, it's really awesome, Nidhi. One thing to note here, though, while cardiac CT use continues to expand, many academic and private institutions in the United States do not yet mandate any particular level of competency in cardiac CT before hiring you. Indeed, few practices are starting to request some credentials prior to employment, but many others will simply ask you if you feel comfortable doing it, and then you do it. There isn't a formal process for employers to adjudicate your level of training at this time, though of course that may change in the future. Alistair, how is it done across the pond? Well, in the United Kingdom, the principles are pretty similar to the SECT certification process in that you can either be trained to a basic level, level one, um, an independent level, level two, or a more advanced level, level three. And the number of scans that should be reported, as we've discussed, increases as you move up the respective tiers. And whilst accreditation is encouraged to demonstrate personal merit, it is not enforced. The key aspect to training, which we strongly advocate in the UK, is that cardiac CT training should be integrated into a multimodality imaging program, which educates all practitioners in the relative strengths and weaknesses of each non-invasive imaging test. 
our training is now strongly focused on selecting the right tests to address the right clinical question. And this means having an appreciation of all the relevant imaging modalities. We're really privileged to have some excellent cardiac imaging training programs in the UK that adopt this philosophy. Excellent. And uh, Nidhi, what has your training experience been like in cardiac CT? Yeah. So my training in cardiac CT, Praveen, began in my very first year of cardiology fellowship when I was first exposed to this amazing modality. As part of our imaging rotation, I started participating in the performance of cardiac CT, you know, prepping the patient, learning the appropriate protocol for the type of CT ordered, data acquisition, and then interpretation with my attending. Thereafter, my interest just grew in this field with my passion for structural heart disease procedures as I learned that CT was just so important in planning these interventions. And then in my second year of cardiology training, I had the opportunity of joining the Fellows and Resident Leaders Committee, also known as our first committee of the SACT, that further solidified my interest in this field and particularly in CT education. Finally, I ended up achieving a level two certification in CT training during my fellowship and then passed my cardiac CT boards. And as you know, to sit for your CBC CT boards, a U.S. trained cardiovascular fellow, you're required to complete training in a program that is accredited by the ACGME and you should have met all your level two training requirements. Excellent, Nidhi. So can you briefly talk to us about the history of CT education guidelines that eventually led to this 2020 SECT guidance document? Yeah, sure. So in the United States, as you know, there are societal training guidelines that come from the American College of Cardiology and the American College of Radiology that guide the case volume and clinical skills required to become accredited as an independent reader or even as a lab director. And these include the well-known COCATS training guide that's published by the ACC that's geared towards cardiology fellows in training that outlines specific competencies for level one, two, and level three training. For our radiology and nuclear medicine trainees, we have the ACR statement that lays out minimum requirements for cardiac CT case volume, board certification to interpret and supervise these examinations. And internationally, too, there are several training documents that guide cardiac CT training, including the very broad strokes document by the Royal College of Radiologists, British Society of Cardiovascular Imaging from 2014 that addresses the safe practice of CT coronary angiography. And then in 2015, the CCT core syllabus document from the European Association of Cardiovascular Imaging was published, though also very general in its approach. And in the same year, the SECT published a more specific statement outlining a comprehensive curriculum detailing foundational aspects of cardiac CT. And this is often referred to as the level one training guideline. And now five years later, SECT has published this new updated set of training guidelines in August 2020. And this 2020 SECT paper had an important goal of providing guidance to the program directors or those charged with formulating a training curriculum in cardiac CT. So how does this new 2020 SECT document interact with the previous 2015 SECT document? You know, the new 
2020 guideline basically expands on the 2015 curriculum guideline by adding specifications for level two and level three practitioners, also referred to in this document as independent and advanced practitioners. It includes the recent advances in the world of CT and uses the US ACGME core competencies framework. In this way, the 2020 SACT guidelines sort of complement the ACR and COCATS guidelines and provide granularity on the minimum threshold of numbers needed to become an independent and advanced practitioner and reach these milestones. <laughs> well, I mean, we just discussed quite a few different types of training statements. So with all of these different statements out there, I imagine it's difficult to have a standardized number of scans and standardized amount of competencies that need to be achieved for cardiac CT, right? Yeah, that's so true, Praveen. As you know, our cardiac CT trainees can emerge from different specialties, such as cardiology, radiology, and thus they can have different training pathways. The numbers set forth by these training statements are therefore quite variable and have also changed over the years. For example, in 2016, a joint practice parameter from the ACR the NASCI and the Society of Peds Radiology revised the previous radiology guidelines to include a minimum number of 50 supervised and interpreted scans over a 36-month period. And for cardiology trainees to be level 2 trained, the COCATS 4 document states that you need to have performed and interpreted at least 200 cases and be actively involved in the acquisition of at least 50 of those cases. So, Nidhi, it appears that we're just seeing the numbers go up, right? As with the other guidelines, which differ from the 2020 SEC recommendations of 250 scans and 450 scans of minimum to achieve the independent and advanced level practitioner competency. Do you think getting to the higher numbers is, is the right way to go? And is that something that's feasible? That's right, Alistair. With all of this variability, I do want to highlight what this new SACT 2020 guidelines say, that it really doesn't matter which specialty you come from in terms of your cardiac CT reading. It really depends on the quality of the dedicated training our, our trainees are achieving in this advanced field of cardiac CT. And this certainly puts forth the need to identify some of the gaps in training and tailor our curriculum accordingly. Agreed. And this effort to renovate and standardize training guidelines for cardiac CT is certainly something to commend. Yes. And these guidelines are certainly a necessary step in the right direction. That said, the field of cardiac CT moves so quickly, the average CT scanner, you know, gets old in just three years' time. And there have been tremendous post-processing advances in the past five years that will continue to accelerate in the near future. Some examples include FFRCT, advanced plaque characterization, CT perfusion, and artificial intelligence. All this is to say that no training guidelines document is going to be perfect. Perhaps um, we can discuss some of the concerns of the 2020 guidelines in a future episode of the podcast. Definitely, Nidhi. That sounds like something to look forward to. And I hear that you presented an abstract at SCCT last year, 2020, reviewing the landscape of cardiac CT training programs. It would be really great to review some of your work on a future episode to help us put these training guidelines in the context of the currently available cardiac CT training opportunities. Of course, Alistair. All right. So with that, I want to thank you, Nidhi, for helping us stay up to speed on the current trends in cardiac CT training. 
Always a pleasure chatting with you both, Alistair and Praveen. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Nidhi. And to our listeners out there, thank you for all tuning in. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe to us. Once again, this is the Donut of Destiny. Cheers. <laughs>